Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Internet Friends, a podcast where two friends who've met on the internet talk about life. But today we are not two friends. We are three friends because we have our very first guest. Say hello. Hey. (laughs) So we have... That was a more sprightly hello that time. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So we have Sam joining us. You've heard a little bit about him through the last few episodes, but we thought that it was about time that he'd come and join us himself. Do you want to give a brief intro as to who you are, I suppose? Yeah, well, well first, thank you very much for inviting me. Long time listener, first time caller. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, good good friend of both Charlotte and Coley. Dare I say, I, I think the term mentor is thrown around too loosely these days, but uh, I, I think behind every good, successful Charlotte photographer, there's a, there's a Sam that taught her most of the ropes. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, happy to be here. He's humble too. That's it. If you can't tell. Yeah. Uh, Sam Sam is basically in like my top three funniest people I know. Thank you. Top three. That's a bit of an insult. <laughs> no, I, I it, that is a that is a tough call. Okay. Alright, yeah, I'll do it. Yep. Cool. Okay. But who's who's there with him that is at the same level? Yeah, they're at the same. Okay, so um, one of Julian's best friends, his name is Evan. He mm. it has a completely different humor style to you, but I would say you guys are equivalently funny, just in different ways. Yeah, well, he's got and the advantage of his name's Evan. That's uh, sort of but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then my friend um, Annie, she is also a completely different type humor type, but like at the same level of hilarity so you guys are my top three but you're like such different humor styles that i can't pick like a like a number one if you know what i mean you guys are tied for funniest people i know okay uh, yeah if it's a tie that's that's something i can to live with cool. <laughs> he couldn't live with being number three <laughs> no i have to excel at all things that's a problem <laughs> so rude how could you Anyways, so should we should should we start this off with what we usually do? We could talk about what we're watching, what we're listening to, and what we're uh, what's the other one? Reading, is yeah. The <laughs> other one. Uh, so let's start with what do we want to start with? Watching? Should we, no, should we start with listening because we can do Wrapped. Oh yeah, because okay, sure. Let's Spotify do that. Spotify Wrapped came out yesterday, and everybody is posting about it on social media. Quite literally, as everybody, you do every time, as everybody does every single time. And Cole was posting hers yesterday and I was posting mine and we were having a bit of a giggle. So we thought it could be kind of interesting to talk about where it came, well, what came first for us during the year of the Rona. Please excuse the, it sounds like a helicopter going overhead if you can hear that. It's a very weird thing to hear anything in the air nowadays. So it's always a little bit of a moment. Um, but we got Sam to go through his before we started recording so that his has been done as well so that we can all talk about them. So. I haven't actually finished going through it yet. I just open it up but um so it'll be as much of a surprise for me as it is for you guys well that's good (laughs) (laughs) okay so how many new artists did each of you discover this year um mine was like 200 and let me now i have to go back again wait you you told me earlier we're skipping ahead you've only listened to like nine thousand hours of something of spotify this year and i imagine that a big part of that will be podcasts how did you discover more new artists than me 189 (laughs) still more than me (laughs) 
I, I don't know. I, I I haven't had very much listening this year. Like that's the thing that like I think is the 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 craziest about the thing. Like last year, my I think I listened to like thirty thousand or forty thousand minutes of music, and this year I listened to like less than ten thousand. Yeah, I mean, I I was definitely listening to less when I was in lockdown because I wasn't going anywhere, and car driving is one of the primary places I listen to Spotify, but. My numbers are still pretty similar to last year, but I guess that's probably because we've been able to drive and go places better than the rest of the world. So that's probably a big part of that. Not to shit all over that, but I discovered 855 new artists this year. Holy shit! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because you see... That's amazing. Music is a lifestyle and it's a language and you've got to sharpen your mind just as much as you would sharpen any other tool. And uh, yeah, I like my new artists. So, do you just listen to All Discover Weekly a lot, or do you listen to random play? How how does that happen? Uh, there are a couple of different approaches. I don't know if I want to share my techniques too much, but yeah, Discover Weekly comes into it. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of radio. You know how you can do a song radio for something you like. That's that's quite useful. Mm. Yeah, 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 I do that. I do that quite often. I'll be like, I'm really in the mood for this specific song, and then I'll put a radio on based off of it. It's quite cool. I do like Spotify. I yeah. finally made the switch last year. No, earlier than that. Charlotte used to give me shit because I didn't have Spotify Premium, and then okay. I ended up getting it. <laughs> so it's, it was a real problem because we were listening to <laughs> listening to things in the office, and ads would come on like every couple yeah. of songs. I was like, mate, it's not. Stop that Stop listening to my voice. Pay us fifteen dollars yeah. a month. You fuck. <laughs> it's not that expensive. <laughs> The the free version is crap. (laughs) Julian and I have one of those like couples plans so that it's like even Mm, cheaper and we pay for like two two listeners. Yeah, I Um, think we pay 20 bucks a month or something. Yeah, like a year and a half ago, I managed to convince um, the rest of my family that they all wanted Spotify. So now my dad pays for my brother, my mum and myself. (laughs) I managed to swing that. That's cheeky. Nice. I mean, my dad, both my parents love it. My dad especially. I knew he would. It's just you need to explain to people in their 50s how to use technology. So I had to teach them how to use it first. But once we got there, they both enjoy it a lot. So I can kind of relate to your dad at this point. (laughs) You and your 28 years of age. 29 soon. But Uh, yeah, I don't know. You just get to a point where... Where technology just doesn't help you do what you want it to do. Anyway. No, yeah. it doesn't. I know that you had a slightly interesting genre in your list for top genres, Cole. <laughs> do you want to share? Yeah. Okay. So my top my top five genres were super weird. Number one was pop, uh, which makes sense to me. Um, I listened to a lot of Taylor Swift and Harry Styles. Um, but... Uh, my second genre was rock. And then my third genre was something I had to Google what it was called stomp and holler. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is stomp and holler? I literally was like, I have no idea what this means. And it's it's kind of like a special term for uh, like a type of folk music, I guess. It's like people like Mumford and Sons, the Lumineers, that kind yeah. of stuff, which makes sense because that is what I listen to, but I just don't know why they couldn't just call it folk music. Well, well it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just music where they stomp and holler. <laughs> I know. It's, it's the most, like, it the makes most self-descriptive sense, genre like, I've ever come across. 
it makes <laughs> it makes so much sense because when you you text me about it, you said that people like Fleet Foxes were in there too, right? I yeah, went and Fleet saw Foxes. I went and saw Fleet Foxes when I was maybe seventeen, and my friend Megan and I were sort of not right at the front, but we were like one row of people behind, and in like a pit like standing and the dude in front of me was like leaning on the bar and like kicking his leg back and just stomping the crap the whole time and he kept getting my toes every like couple of minutes and it was just the most irritating thing I just wanted to punch the dude but now I get it <laughs> that's what the genre is called yeah cool I understand my other two um my other two genres were um roots reggae and soul which like yeah, so like, I, I, it, which is pretty accurate. Like, that's, I would say rock, reggae, soul, pop, and folk music are like what I listen to. That's kind of like the variety that I listen to. But I just thought it was funny how like completely randomly like different all of those kind of are. The weirdest thing for me was that I listened to 131 genres. Like, how are there so many just little sub and modified genres floating around? I don't quite understand how they come up with all of them. Um, mine wasn't particularly interesting at all. I had um, like pop and lo-fi beats and um, a little bit of alternative and like all that sort of stuff. That's all pretty, pretty standard for me. Anything weird pop up for you, Sam? Like stomp and holler? <laughs> uh, no, my number one was rock, which is a little bit surprising. Uh, number two was lo-fi beats, which are the best genre ever. Uh, pop, modern rock, and then number five was video game music. Which I suspect <laughs> is because I put it on in the background when we do D&D. Oh, that's okay, that's the really best. Well. Yeah, that that's one was. <laughs> um, what's really funny is my number two and number four are lo-fi beats and modern rock, respectively, as well. Great. I thought, I, I thought you didn't like lo-fi. Don't you give me shit for that the whole time? No, I think that there's a difference between the lo-fi that you were playing and the lo-fi that I play, potentially, but maybe not. <laughs> well, you would think with, like, 200-and-something genres that they would they would know the difference between you yeah. and Sam's lo-fi. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I Was it the lo-fi they were shooting all over, or was it something else? I think it was the lo- Oh, Vaporwave, which no, is a vapor- subgenre of lo-fi, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Va- but if you like lo-fi, you should like vaporwave, and then there's the more the more niche outrun music style, which is kind of eighties inspired. But we could yeah. do an entire podcast about lo-fi. I'd be happy to do that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, lo-fi beats is a pretty good description for the kind of lo-fi that I listen to. Um, yeah. Anyway, what was everybody's top song of the year? Mine was Adore You by Harry Styles, which is not surprising at all because that is my freaking 2020 jam. I listen to it all the time. Not shocked. I probably could have told you that. (laughs) Yeah. It was my favorite song that he came out with on the album. And whenever I just like need to pick me up, that's what I put on. That was a really good album. I need to listen to it more. I honestly, I didn't listen to it that much and I know that I will like it. So I need to. But the reason I like his music so much is because he you can tell that some of his major music influences is from like the 70s and 80s rock um, era. Mm. And so it's it is pop music, but it has all of these nods to 70s and 80s music, which is my favorite era of music. That was like my top even when they did like the what era did you listen to the most mine was 70s rock literally 
<laughs> so I yeah so I, what I appreciate about his music so much is like it kind of marries my two loves like my pop and my like um like 80s rock love mm. Mm. how about you Sam what was your favorite song of the year my top song of the year was Soaked. Um, I, I always get this wrong. Is it Benet? I think it's Benny. I think it's Benny. Benny. Yeah. Soaked by Benet. Yeah. For those who don't song. know who she is, she's a local Kiwi artist. Um, and she's been blowing up here over the last six months or so, a year maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's, is she, is it's she popular of, overseas? Lit- like, have you heard no of her? idea. Oh, Okay. She's got good music. You should check her out. It's quite yeah. Um, catchy. Yeah. I'm kind of I'm surprised that that's my number one, to be honest, because I I did listen to it, but I didn't have it on repeat. Hmm. Interesting. She um is pretty much headlining all of the summer festivals here over summer, obviously, um, because no international acts can come in, obviously, because of COVID. So it's all Kiwi based for all the festivals this year, which is kind of cool. Um, and she's been, as I say, blowing up this year. So she's, and she's doing a really good job. Zara went to see her in concert. Um, oh God, it was a couple of months ago now, which she said yeah. was fantastic. So yeah, she's really good. You should check her out. If you want to find something new, Cole, you can do that for your, what you're listening to next week. <laughs> yeah. You, can you text me the, how to spell her name? Yeah, I will. I will send you, I'll send, I think I can share from Spotify even. <laughs> I feel like we might be kind of biased, Charlotte, because we're Kiwis, but it seems like a lot of New Zealand music is quite good, internationally speaking. I mean, you know, we've had Lord, now we've got this person. I'm kind of scared she's, to pronounce it now. She, she's got a little bit of, um, not like a Lord vibe, but she kind of reminds me of like the early days of Lord and like she's quite young, but she's really yeah. quite talented and I feel like she's going to go and do some really cool mm. shit. Well, Canada's produced a bunch of pop stars. <laughs> this is we true. just we just produce we just produce the most generic crap shit. <laughs> no, not crap. I, that's a lie. I right. but yeah, we've got Sean Mendes, Justin Bieber, and Drake. Okay, there's no denying but, that you with your huge population are gonna produce many, 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 many talented superstars. <laughs> those are those are three pretty big hitters though. For yeah, for sure. How little we are. I'm pretty sure that's spelt Benet. Benet, yeah, it will be, yeah. I don't know how she think, pronounces um, it though, but yeah. What I love about Auckland in particular as well is that all these Kiwi artists, you'll just like bump into them at the supermarket randomly and it seems like quite a common occurrence. Mm-hmm. Like, like Lord used to live in the same village as me, so we'd just like, I don't think I ever actually spoke to her, but you'd always pass her in the shops and she'd be buying some carrots and you'd just do that like sup, head nod. And then Grace passed the the guy from 660 on Queen Street a few times. Apparently he used to be good mates with her boss at the time. I kind of like that you can just like, everyone's just there doing their own thing. Yeah, Sharon been here a couple of times. Lord floats around Ponsonby all the time. Like she's often seen at the pet shop getting food for her dog. Who actually passed away a couple of months ago, which is really sad. Um, And just like that it was a bit more casual, like nobody... You know, you don't get swarms of fans for the most part. Sorry, Oscar just stood on my keyboard. Yeah, but also people <laughs> don't tend to bombard them. They tend to just be like, okay, that person exists and is in the same room as me. Cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just chill about we it. Have, 
we have one of the like largest film industries in the world. We're like considered Hollywood North here in Vancouver, and so you, it's quite common in like certain neighborhoods to just see random actors going for their groceries and stuff. But I feel like it, they're usually a bit more like bitchy about it because they're obviously they're not from here. They're just trying to be here for work. Mm. I like I had friends who went clubbing and. Um, they went oh, this was pre-rona obviously but they ran into the cast of riverdale oh, and yeah. um my friend was like yo like i love your show like it's so awesome and uh one of the actors threw a drink in her face and told her to fuck off Aww. what the fuck that's really weird. Yeah, they were like, this is, it's not our jobs. And I've heard them in interviews before, like, especially, who is it? The 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 one who plays Betty. Betty? Is that her name? I've not but, seen it, so uh, I the, can't tell you. The blonde one, she she constantly is like, it's not my job to be, like, at, like someone's showman all the time. Like, when I'm in my private time, I, it's not my responsibility to deal with fans and stuff. And I just, like, well, I find that attitude really shitty, but... Yeah. Yeah. I will say that when I met Lord, she was lovely and she signed something for me, which these two can see on the wall behind me. And it was very mm. cute. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, she seems really chill. Yeah. She's really chill. She's very sweet. She's quite down to earth. Um, all right. <laughs> my thing is ticked over to my top songs, <laughs> which is really funny for me because they're all Dua Lipa. Because <laughs> my top song of the year was a Dua Lipa <laughs> song. Um, her new album came out right at the beginning of the year. Um, like, almost, like, sort of just before lockdown happened, I think. And I basically listened to it on repeat during um, the first big lockdown in New Zealand. It was my workout album for, like, most of the year. It's my, like, go-to fun pop music thing in the car. So I'm not surprised that it features... I'm surprised that all five of my top songs are Dua Lipa songs. That's a little bit, um, not embarrassing necessarily, but like that's some like hardcore commitment to that album. I haven't listened to it. I don't know if it's your thing so much, but give it a listen. It's pretty good, but I'm going to sound like a douchebag here and say I've been listening to Dua Lipa for a really long time though. So it was like a really long time coming to have a full album like this. Yeah, I listened to her when she was still she, on SoundCloud. She was um, she was one of top five. Oh my god, I, I listened to her when she was still on SoundCloud. Is like the funniest. I know. I I, 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 <laughs> I was very aware it was going to sound like that. That's what my signed Lord thing says too. Because I had a conversation with her. She had free SoundCloud music right at the beginning of her career, and I told her that I've been listening since then. So that's how she signed the poster behind me. It was very cute. Anyway, sorry, I'll stop being a douchebag now. Okay, so what's your top five songs, Sam? Right, so I've got number one is Soaked. Um, this is a really interesting list, actually. Number two is Casimir Pulaski Day by Surf Jan Stevens, which is a very good song if you haven't heard it. It's, it's probably one of the saddest songs in history. Uh, Cold Cold Man by Saint Motel, that's a good one. The Less I Know the Better by Tame Impala. And Saturday Sun by Vance Joy. Mm. Oh, like that that's of, one of my favorite songs of all time. I feel like that kind of sums up my music listening pretty well. Yeah, Saint Motel and Tame Impala being in there doesn't surprise me. Saint Motel's great. Surf Jan Stevens have been listening to a lot of, I hope I'm pronouncing that right as well. Um, I think he's from Chicago or somewhere. 
How's yours looking, Cole? Your top five songs of the year. <laughs> so my number one was Adore You by Harry Styles. Number mm-hmm. two was Going to California by Led Zeppelin, um, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, number three was Saturday Sun by Vance Joy. Hmm. Nice. Um, number four was um, Love You For A Long Time by Maggie Rogers. And then number five was Slide Away by Miley Cyrus, which hmm. is funny because I didn't realize it, but it's actually such a good, like, like Julian and I really like that song and we listened to it a lot this summer up at my cabin. Um, it was like a good, like, just chill beachy vibes song so those were my my top five yeah see both of you have like a, a fairly varied and well distributed top five compared to me mm. <laughs> mine just yeah i mean it shows pure like, i'm not surprised i did listen to that album a hell of a lot this year i didn't realize it was like the only thing i listened to this year basically um surprisingly I- she's not my top artist top listened artist of the year though we'll get to that so, so that's what I was just going to say. What I find is weird is my the my top artist of the year that I listened to didn't none of their songs made by top five. Mine's the same, and that's I think that but the reason it is is because mine's Mac Miller, by the way. Um, it's because I listen to Mac Miller's albums as like full albums start to finish, and like I flip between both swimming in circles. So I don't listen to like one album over and over and over. I listen to both of them. So it evenly distributes between. And I think that means that those songs don't make the top five, especially when Dua Lipa is all of my top five songs. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think I've definitely listened to Mac Miller more than I have Dua Lipa this year. Yeah, my my top artist uh, was Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. And that is 100% just because she dropped Folklore. like a month or so ago it was uh, it's just from listening to that so I was surprised that none of them none of her songs made my top five because I've been listening to that album non-stop yeah it's kind of weird I guess you just listen to the other individual songs specifically so much more that um yeah I assume that it was it's probably because like for like I because the album came out at the end of the year Mm. I I was probably listening to all my other artists and music that I really like like a bit more on repeat and then like but it's a lot more different artists whereas like once Folklore came out I basically have been listening to that like nonstop. but maybe I just had more plays of the other songs before that I don't know I thought it was weird Folklore came out at the end of your summer though didn't it oh yeah it did that's probably why he probably listened to everything else over the summer and then yeah but I feel like that's like almost like five months of straight listening only to Taylor Swift so I'm surprised that none of the songs <laughs> made it have you skipped through to your top artist for the year Sam do you know who it is yeah uh, Coldplay obviously oh. I was oh. apparently in the top 0.5% of listeners which is kind of kind of cool I was um, in that for Mac Miller too I think that's quite cute Mm. I was I was in top three percent for Taylor Swift, but let's be real, she's got a huge fan base. I'm not yeah. surprised I didn't make the top like <laughs> with my measly nine, like my measly nine thousand minutes listened. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no, I think Coldplay would make sense because they was it this year the new album came out or was that last year? I can't remember now. I don't think they came out with one this year. If they did, I missed it. <laughs> Which was the really Everyday bad. Life one where they. They live streamed the entire thing. 
I feel like it was oh, started think, this year. I think that was pre-COVID. I think that was last year. Wasn't it? Oh, okay. I can't remember. Maybe. It was, um, it was a really good album, though. You should check it out if you like Coldplay. Quick shout out. Should we do the... Chris Martin. Should we do the list? Who, who else made your top, like, top five list? Does it say? Uh, I'm, yeah, we're probably just, not doing this in order, but... No, we... None of this is ever in order. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is pure chaos all the time. Great. Yeah. Uh, my top artists were Coldplay, and then the original Broadway cast of Hamilton, and then <laughs> uh, Low Roar, who's very good. I think I told you about him, Charlotte, but you should, you mm. should listen to him. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, number four, and then The Beatles. Oh. Which is very different to my top five songs, but... Yeah, really. Yeah, I feel different. like it's cheating to have Hamilton and Lin Manuel Miranda on the same list. Yeah, yes, but it is. It is a very, yeah, it's a very good soundtrack. <laughs> um, we just put it on in the background. It's a good one to jam to. My my number two should be no surprise to anybody do it as being Dua Lipa, um, but number three also really isn't a surprise. It's Billie Eilish. Um, nice. Number four and number five are artists that my brother introduced to me during lockdown because I moved in with my parents for lockdown and I listened to a lot of my brother's music while I was there. So I've got Alt J and I've got Still Woozy, which were ones that my brother introduced to me. Um, Alt J is cool. Yeah, and I listened to a lot after, I guess, I don't know, from May onwards because that was the end of lockdown. So. Mm. Cool. My, um, my top artists are like basically the same as my top songs so it was uh, number one is taylor swift number two is harry styles number three is led zeppelin number four is maggie rogers and number five is vance joy which is yep. pretty accurate to my listening tastes i mm. not gonna lie though i i'm so pr- i think my dad would be so proud of me that led zeppelin is on my top five most listened to artists this year like there's a little bit of me that's like proud of that because i I've gotten DMs before from people being like sassy, being like, oh, like, you know, you're just one of those girls who thinks she's so cool because she listens to like Led Zeppelin, but I bet you don't actually listen to them. And now I've got proof that I do. Validation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shall we quickly just do what our top podcast was since this is a podcast and it kind of makes sense and then we can jump into something a little different. What was everybody's Mm -hmm. top podcast for the year? (laughs) Mine was Books Unbound, but which is Ariel Bassett and Raylene May's um, podcast, which is the only podcast I listen to. And then my number two listen to podcast was our podcast. This one, Internet Friends. Cute. <laughs> Do you listen to it on Spotify? Yeah, I always play it to make sure that like it's it's there. Okay. I see. I I mean, I listen to other podcasts way more than ours. So ours hasn't actually showed up. I thought that you'd just listen to it from the file that I send you to check every week. Oh yeah, but and then but then I I always like I just like play it and let it, it skim through it to make sure that it like uploaded properly <laughs> to Spotify. Oh, nice, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Sam? Yeah. Oh, my top one—it's a close tie, I think. But the top one was the Bam podcast, which is an architectural photography one. It's quite good. Quick shout out to it. Uh, number two was Internet Friends by Coley Nielsen and Charlotte Timmer. <laughs> That's quite us. a good one. Quite new. Cute as. Cute. Yeah, no, I listen to every single one. It's great. Um, oh. No such thing as a fish. Good podcast. And then the Auntie Donna podcast. 
which is very good. They're up to episode something like 193 now, and it's just pure trash, but that's what makes it so good. It's too chaotic for me. I can't. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, no surprises to anybody. My top one is the Hilo, but the saddest part about that is this week they're releasing their final episode. They're ending the podcast. And I quite legitimately almost cried when they announced that last week. And I was really, really upset about it. I haven't listened to the final one yet. I think it came out. It was either coming out like yesterday or today or something. I don't want to listen to it. It's going to be real sad. Um, What's it about? Yeah, you talk about that all the time. You talk about the podcast almost twice a week, I would say to me. So (laughs) I could see that being really sad for you. Yeah, it's the general gist of it is um it's two women talking about like the high and low brown news is how it started out um and it's just become like a conversation about just like things going on in the world around them each week um right but yeah they decided they wanted to end it on a high note huh. um so yeah this week's the last episode and i'm really really sad about it um the other two major ones i listened to this year were the daily because i always do and um Simply Pod Logical, which is, if you didn't know, Christine and Ben, um, Nail Logical, the Nail Gurus, and their podcast, which is brilliant because it is nothing to do with nails at all. It is just pure fantasticness. So, yeah, it probably would have been one of my top podcasts if I listened to it on Spotify, but I watch the, I watch it on YouTube instead because I like seeing them Mm -hmm. like actually talking to one another that's the problem is i listen to most of my podcasts either on youtube so i can see the people talking or through apple podcast app just because um that's what i like originally started listening on i didn't even know spotify had podcasts when i started listening to this podcast and so i've just not like switched over yet fully it probably didn't when you first started listening. Honestly, they didn't introduce it until semi-recently. And I switched from Apple Podcasts to Spotify because I hated the Apple Podcast app. It's so clunky yeah. and horrible. Yeah, well, thank you again to Spotify for doing a wonderful summary of all of our listening habits, especially during a pandemic year. It's been interesting. Anyway, what has everybody been reading? I don't know. Sam doesn't really read, so I don't know what you're going to have as an answer to this question. Um, well, I feel personally attacked by that um i do read (laughs) i have i have a love-hate relationship with reading because i've got terrible eyesight as i think both of you know but um yeah i i have keratoconus which means i see three of all the words all at once so i have to concentrate very hard to actually read so it goes pretty slowly but i've been reading uh dune by frank herbert oh are you liking it yeah i think it's yeah i'm about halfway through Looking forward to the movie when that comes out, but it's, um, yeah, no, no, it's, it's cool considering it was written in 60, 65, I want to say, but it's, it kind of, it holds up to modern day. It's, it's set in the future. It's, mm-hmm. um, kind of Star Trekky, but yeah, no, very good story. Very good plot. Like it. I'm going to sound like a total nerd when I say this, but the reason that I've got it on my like TBR list is because one of my favorite book cover designers, which is mm. such a niche thing, but he designed the new covers that are um, out for them. And I just think yeah. that they're like so gorgeous. Is it um, that kind of pastely so the, like graphic design yeah. one? Because I, I think I know the one yeah. you mean with the waves yeah, yeah. and so yeah. I, I would love to I, I would love to own them just because I think the covers are really really pretty but 
I probably won't read them for a really long time because I have like mm. 200 books that I own that I haven't read yet. <laughs> that's, that's a very cool book because it's kind of, it does a lot of world building, but it doesn't get into all the like nitty gritty politics. It's just about like one family on this planet and it's all sand dunes and it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. very good. I'm enjoying it. It's taken me quite a while to get so far through it because I have to, yeah, I'm a very slow reader. It's mm. a classic. It's also bar. a big book. Yeah. It's a big book. Yeah. I've got it on Kindle, so at least I've got a little percentage thing down in the bottom corner. I can kind of, you know, knock off a percent every time I sit down to read it. I feel mm-hmm. like that's almost more demoralizing, though, because being such a big book, the percentages t- tick down so slowly. Hmm. I tried reading Game of Thrones a couple of years ago, but I've got the ebook, which is all, I think all five of them all in one big file. So I was oh reading it for like a month, and then I hit 2% in the bottom corner. And I was like, cool, oh I'm, I'm done, fuck that. That's miserable. Was, um, yeah, oh and, and having seen the show, like I, I was just reading for ages, and you get like like the equivalent of one or two episodes into the series, and then you're just like, uh, you know, it's going to take me at least a year to get through this. I know that you find it easier to read on a Kindle because of the contrast for your eyesight, but I mm. do own the books if you happen to want to borrow The Game of Thrones series i Thank own you. them so yeah i need the i need the backlight coming through because then i've got you can you can set it to have a bit of a sharper contrast which helps that Doing makes paper sense books is just kind of a write-off um yeah. i'm not currently reading anything i don't have anything to talk about yeah cole and i at the end of at the end of last week i don't i'm losing track of what day week year month it is at the moment um, but we both powered through there, there within like 24 or 48 oh, yeah. hours for the book club. At I the guess end of I last could week. talk about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So we finished the book club. We had for a the call year. on Sunday. Your we had Sunday. the call on Sunday, right? Your Sunday, man. Yeah. Monday. So, yeah. So a couple of days ago and, um, yeah, it was, it was good. I think it was like a solid book. Um, not one of my favorites. I, 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 I don't like how you don't know what happens in the end that like really frustrates me when that happens in books I really need to know if people are going to be okay or not and if I don't know if people are going to be okay then I'm I'm upset yeah (laughs) me too because there was a lot of people who could potentially be dead at the end of that book and it was a bit intense um but did you hear that some of the people on the call had an epilogue in the book and you and I didn't yeah no apparently so I was looking it up like there like but okay so none of us on the actual call had the epilogue pr- in their print version but apparently it exists and and so none of us got to read the epilogue and so i've been trying to find the epilogue log somewhere right. see that might maybe that will closure. tell us of who lives and dies yeah yeah so yeah, okay. maybe maybe it'll change my maybe it'll change my goodreads rating if i if i find the epilogue yeah i think i haven't rated it yet i think it's going to be a four because it's still a good book it just finished it was a bit chaotic for me i found it a little bit chaotic to follow the storylines you found it less so but i found it a bit chaotic and mm-hmm. um yeah the ending was incredibly unsatisfying but i gave it a four i gave it a four too mm. yeah it was probably closer to like a 3.75 in my head but i'm not allowed to do 0.25 stars on no, goodreads which really frustrates stars. me I know. I really wish I could give it like I wish I could give it a letter letter grade. Like I wish I could give it like a seventy eight percent or something like that out of a hundred. Yeah, I feel like, like that's 
that's would, how I wish I could rate books. That would satisfy my brain better, but I, I understand why they have it the way that they are. Cole and I debate this on a regular basis. Oh yeah, we are constantly talking about what we should rate, rate books that we both have read. Yeah, to the point where sometimes I just don't rate things because I just don't know. <laughs> um, anybody watching anything interesting? I'm not. <laughs> Still on Grey's Anatomy. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, can I call you out for spoilers three episodes ago where oh, Charlie God, died? Oh, God, no. I mean, no. I've seen it, but, but so I feel no. like some people might be. <laughs> I'm sorry. If, if, if It's been 10 years since the show's come out, and it's pretty yeah. obvious that Denny, it, it was Denny, by the way, who I spoiled. It was Denny, pretty obvious sorry. where yeah. the plot line was going. Yeah, and it's like yeah. Season, Charlie does like, die, though, every- doesn't he? Did I just spoil that separately? Who's the- Charlie. Charlie? Oh, the really annoying intern? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, he gets does. hit by a bus or something. Yeah. yeah no, no, you're talking I, about George. Um, George. George. There we go. George <laughs> dies, guys. <laughs> Everyone dies. Everybody dies. Yeah. Everyone dies at some point. Except no, for Meredith. Um, Grace and I watched it ages back when we were in uni, and we got up to season 14, I think. Which is, I think we were, we were caught up, but they were still going. This was like five years ago. And then, um, I won't spoil it, but they kill off one pretty major character in the stupidest way. He's like doing a U-turn in the middle of a fucking yeah. motorway. And, and both of us were just like, shut the laptop lid. Like, no, nah, that's just, it's just stupid. Like, yeah. It got, yeah. To, got to the point where they just seem to kill people for the shock value without actually like, man, the more mortality rate of that hospital. I think that I think it's more so that like characters are leaving like I know for that death yeah. specifically it's because the actor wanted to leave the show yes. but I just don't understand why they had to make everyone die when they leave the actor leaves the show it's yeah, like yeah because you could but just... I also get that if he lived and then left it would be even worse because like yeah but then he like the whole point the whole plot of the show was like a love story between him and another character but I don't know I think what you what you could have done is, like, I I think it's that the death was such a slap in the face. It was like, he's he's this, you know, really really esteemed character, mm-hmm. and he's like basically texting while doing a U-turn on a motorway. Like you you could have killed him off in a more more elegant fashion, I think, than just like out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think it was in like the first ten minutes of some episode, and there was like no build up to it whatsoever. And you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I th- I think the I think the though the one that pisses me off the most, uh, which I haven't even watched yet, but I know what happens is the way um, Alex Karev's character leaves the show, and I'm not gonna say because mm. this is actually a spoiler. This I think this happens like in season 16, which is the last one, but it like is infuriating. It is so pit annoying because they basically do this whole character build through his like 15 seasons that he's on the show and then they yeah. ruin it and make him go completely back to season one alex oh, by like no. this one decision that's like what they did in game of thrones with um jamie lannister did you watch that yeah no yeah. i've never seen any game of thrones ah uh, okay then yeah the same thing they just undo like all of the character development and you're just left there like oh cool okay yeah, that was one of the things that made me really upset about the last episodes was the way that Jamie was killed off. 
Mm. I've seen I've seen videos of the of the actors doing table reads of season the last season <laughs> of Game of Thrones and them yeah. visibly being angry about what they're reading. Ah oh, man, that was that was just dumb. That was a dumb way to end the show. Yeah. Well, uh, should we get into talking about other stuff? I guess. Sure. Yeah, probably. So, so I. You kind of touched at this at the beginning of the episode, how you and Charlotte do photography together. But I thought maybe like we could talk about a little bit of things because I also am a photographer, even though I don't do it as much um, anymore in my work. I'm, st- um, but yeah, it's interesting because all three of us have very different styles of photography, and we shoot very different things. I, well, obviously Charlotte assists you on what you do, but um, her like other portfolio is completely different. So, talk about what you shoot. Yeah, you should probably just intro what you do a little bit because I don't think I've really talked about what we do together yeah. so much. I've talked about what I do a little bit, but uh, all right. Well, I've been doing been doing photography for about seven years now. Um, and I tried out a couple of different things throughout. So I started off as a um, event photographer doing 21sts for people at uni for about $20 a gig. And it was, it was fucking awful. And <laughs> then um, I, yeah, so I got into photography when I was at the University of Auckland. I was doing a Bachelor of Science in Logic and Computation. And I joined the photography club because I would basically not turn up to lectures and just read the books and I wanted a place to hang out with some people and chat about hobbies instead of having to turn up and do things. Yeah, he took um, you very seriously, if you can't tell. <laughs> oh, it was good. I, I think the, the act of going to uni is excellent. I think what you study doesn't doesn't quite matter as much. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I did photography there, mm. made a whole bunch of friends um, and kind of started working as a photographer through that and then I decided I would go and do a diploma of photographic imaging so I've graduated at that uni and went straight into two years of study at another one doing photography and got a job as a real estate photographer which again I kind of hated and now here I am as a architectural architectural and interiors photographer so Charlotte would um, work with me and we go and shoot nice houses nice interiors do a lot of crispy Photoshop retouching. And, yeah, yeah it's generally so much. Quite a quite a nice um, kind of zen. I don't know. It's very very chill compared to weddings as well. Charlotte and I shot weddings for two or three years. Oh God! And it's so kind intense. of the complete opposite of doing that. You um, have to be a very specific yeah. type of person to enjoy weddings. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think we were both a bit younger back then and a bit more <laughs> kind of. Un, unjaded to the world and it was like oh yeah no we'll shoot your wedding you know it's such a happy day and and the mm-hmm. ones that we shot for the most part were great um but but yeah you're you especially in new zealand you're in a market where there's um i think there are about 300 other wedding photographers in our market and, and new zealand's relatively small so you've got high competition to get in front of couples getting married you've got no repeat work unless the marriage goes to shit she always talked mm-hmm. about um you know buy two weddings get one free and, <laughs> but yeah yeah it's it's not really for me it's, it's so stressful and you know if the weather turns to shit then you've got to improvise like crazy if your you know memory card fails then you're completely fucked 
Whereas, yeah, yeah. Coming, coming through to architecture, which I've, I've always, always enjoyed the retouching side of things, and I like taking time to tee up a shot and make sure everything is absolutely perfect, which you don't really get in a wedding. You just kind of have to roll with it. Um, but doing what we do nowadays, it's, it's like, you know, you, you take an hour per photo between making sure, like, every single cushion is in the perfect spot and then, you know, half an hour retouching out every single speck that's not perfect it's it's very i really enjoy it i don't think it's for everyone but i find it very very yeah. cool we spend and that huh? i was gonna say and that is the 100 percent the difference between you and i because that sounds like an absolute fucking nightmare to me <laughs> yeah we spent was it three and a half hours yeah. shooting that bathroom the other day yep yep we had a three and a half hour shoot in a what well, maybe like a two by three meter bathroom it was a very but small bathroom again, too, yeah. So cool, because you, um, if you, if you spend a lot of time in one place, you kind of, you start to <laughs> kind of take it all in and you start seeing, yeah, it's, it's very different to real estate photography where you um, kind of go into a kitchen and you're like, cool, I'll get, you know, a wide shot from here. I might get a front-on perspective one from here. If, if you've got three hours to shoot a bathroom, you you really start taking in the details and you can can set up lights so we set up a light coming in through the window to be like an artificial sun because the day was quite cloudy and then you know you spend hours compositing the taps so they're like perfectly perfectly straight onto the camera i like it i like taking my time with things yeah i'm 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 the complete opposite but i i have so much respect for people like you that can do that who love the like nitty gritty the like very technical aspects of it um i i did like a couple of assistant gigs once um at the very beginning of my career with uh um an architectural photographer and it, it literally took me like one shoot to realize that i would never (laughs) ever be able to do that because i just i'm not patient yeah yeah, you've got to be very patient. There's um, there's one photographer who I really look up to, who I've met a couple of times, and he's he's kind of one of the go-to people in New Zealand for this. And he said he spends dark to dark on a house, so he'll be there before sunrise, like six or seven in the morning, and then he'll stay through to the sun's gone down in the evening. So you're there for twelve hours or so to get ten, maybe twenty photos of the house. So he would be. He would be waiting for the light of the, the the angle of the sunlight in the hallway to be at like a perfect 45 degree angle, that kind of thing, which is just, um, you know, if you can get to that point, you've, you've made it, I reckon. Having that kind of budget yeah. just to, just to wait for absolutely perfect conditions. But um, I think with the retouching as well, like I quite like problem solving and I think a lot of the retouching is is quite challenging like how do you how do you photoshop out a air vent behind six cables and it's it's kind of I, I like the challenge of it you know having to sit down and kind of figure out how you're going to do it and mm-hmm. then and then hopefully make it work it's probably a big yeah. part of why you enjoy the shooting process too because the shooting process for architecture is as much a problem solving thing as the editing too because it is yeah but like, figuring out your composition is is like a very thought out thing for architecture it's really precise mm. how do you how do you make it look realistic without using a super wide angle and um yeah things like getting the colors right getting the in the mood of the place rather than just showing you know literally every square inch of it 
Yeah, I enjoy it. What do you think of it, Charlotte? I find it kind of interesting. I never really expected to enjoy it as much as I do, which is interesting. Um, I have a huge respect for it because I think it's genuinely one of the hardest kinds of photography to do in a lot of ways because it is so precise and there's a lot that goes into making a good architectural photo versus like a very, very not architectural photo. And Mm. yeah, I've learned a lot. I so appreciate the craft of it now and I genuinely quite enjoy it. Um, I quite enjoy the interiors rather than the exteriors. I think I enjoy doing things inside a little bit more because I enjoy like little vignette type shots more than I do the wider stuff. Um, but I think that's just because I enjoy the interaction between the space and the way that people live in it. So the styling and stuff rather than purely just the build itself. Um, Mm. but yeah, it's made me very hypercritical of a lot of things because there are so little, so many little fine details with architecture. Like the lines just really need to be straight. Otherwise it looks like someone's built a crooked building. Um, if your colors are slightly off, then you don't represent the building, how it was meant to be represented like little things like this. So I find that like straight lines in a whole bunch of different photos are a problem for me. Now it bugs me. If the colors are off, it bugs me. Like it's, it's leaked into the other um, kinds of photography that I do. Um, yeah, you get very really obsessive about, about it. Yeah, you really do. I think um, knowing some of the techniques you can kind of apply to, to any other type of photography, like you say. Like if you see some fashion shot and the lines are off in the background, yeah, it, just, it just ruins it for me. Yeah. Can't do mm. it. It's the same reason that I hate... Is it, do they call them Dutch angles? Is that what it's called? Dutch tilts, Ugh. yeah. Stupid. Yeah. I, I, it's such a tacky. <laughs> yeah. It's so bad. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that architecture photography and product photography are two of the most technically mm. challenging mm. things to do. And I have so much respect for people who um, are in those crafts and are that work really hard to perfect them. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Product photography is, like, in a league of its own. What's funny is I know quite a few architectural photographers who also do products. They do 50-50, both of them. Yeah. So um, when I was in photography school, um, literally all of the product photography teachers were also architectural photography Mm. teachers and vice versa. Our architecture teacher was also a product photography teacher. And it's it's exactly that. It's the people who just really love the technical aspect of photography that like... Yeah, and like, like I have a friend Amu who's a product photographer, and I've literally seen him spend like sixteen hours in a studio trying to get the perfect shot of a bottle of whiskey, down to Which like is, the lighting crazy. having the perfect the perfect spot so that it creates the perfect reflection on the bottle and that the colors are exactly like yeah, it's really technical and beautiful though when you see the amount of work. I tried a little bit of that in uni because we had a um, we had two photo studios. We had a natural light and a indoor light studio, and it had about six different flash heads. And we had to do one assignment where we had to shoot a bottle of wine as perfectly as possible. And and that was similar. That was you know half a day, um, six different lights, and then about twice as many modifiers, just trying to get the perfect like that line of light that goes along the side of the bottle 
mm-hmm. and um, that was enough for me to decide that's, that's not really what I want to do. It's just yeah. and having that line be yeah. like the perfect width and having it be the perfect um, intensity too, right? It doesn't yeah. have to. It's not too bright. It's not too light. And then making sure that the bottle everywhere else is properly lit, so the label is completely even and like all that shit. I, yeah, it's it's yeah, definitely well, not for me. I'm not good at it. No, and it's you have to like, you have to record everything meticulously as well because you have to recreate it. If you're if you're shooting wine bottles for a company, you've got to be able mm-hmm. to do that exactly for every single bottle they produce, which is which is part mm-hmm. of what's so tricky about it. Because you can't yeah, just kind totally. of get it mostly right. It's mostly like it's a really frustrating form of problem solving almost because it's a problem solving thing. Like you go through and you have to figure out how to like change things to figure out how to get it how you want it. But if you mm. can't figure out how to get it how you want it, then it's infinitely frustrating. Or like if there's a reflection there that you can't quite figure yeah. out how to control, like it's yeah. it feels like you're being defeated constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And what kind of what kind of stuff did you mostly shoot then, Collie? So I did mostly um, like so. I do a lot of travel photography, which I've done for like different media outlets and like different websites and like travel um uh magazines and stuff but then um most of my like actual um, work that I got paid for is like commercial lifestyle photography for people's social media so it's very like in the moment very much so just showing people in their element at the place that they work for mm-hmm. their um, websites, right? And their social media, making sure that like their marketing all matches. So I am very not technical, very in the moment, just trying to capture people in their natural elements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even like travel photography as well, which is just an extension of street photography, really, um, yeah. is uh, it's very much so about capturing that perfect moment organically when it happens and just having an eye for being able to see when good things are happening versus creating the shot. Yeah, I enjoy doing that Mm. sort of stuff as well. And I think that the wedding background I have may be quite good at waiting for moments. Like that was very good training for that. Like you're constantly watching what's going on and you have to be ready to capture those like happy moments as they happen. So like it's, yeah, that's kind of where my practice for that came in rather than doing travel stuff. But I get what you mean. I just don't even like the thing with that. I don't one. I feel like weddings, it would be so obnoxious to see people so in love all the time, which like (laughs) is a ridiculous thing to say, but it is, but also like that nauseating feeling that like that you only have one chance to get a, a laundry list of shots that are like essential for a wedding. And if you miss one of those, like you've completely fucked it and you can't recreate yeah. someone's wedding. Like if, when no. I do commercial like lifestyle stuff and we, we go and do a shoot all day and they're like, dang, we would really love to have a shot. That's more like in this environment. I can just come back and shoot them another day. It's not yeah. like yeah. that big of a deal. And same with like w- with travel stuff. Like if I, if I don't get the shot, then I just don't get the shot. Like it's not that big of a deal it's maybe it sucks for me but it's not like i can never come back again you know um I think one of the things that terrified me with weddings was the the autofocus because because i've got such terrible eyesight like i'm kind of at the mercy of the focus i can't i can't fine tune it so so if i do my architectural stuff it's always manual focus these days because i can check it obviously 
But, um, you know, you'd, you'd have like the bride and groom walking down the aisle and you'd have it on continuous focus and, and I'd just be there like praying it was good enough because I, I, to me, the difference between like pinpoint sharp and slightly out of focus, I can, I can hardly tell unless I bring it up on mm-hmm. a computer screen. But uh, most people can't even tell, even even people with good eyesight. Like there's so many times where I've shot a, a full yeah. like portrait session or something. And I'm like, yeah, these are great. And I'm looking in the back of my camera. I'm like, yeah, yeah these are perfectly up. fine. And yep. then you put them on your computer and you're like, holy shit, my focus is not on their eye. It's on their like tip of their nose or something like that. Just, um, just make it black and white and add a shit ton of grain and make it look like a creative choice. That's what I did yeah, a couple of times. <laughs> we use the that's Photoshop always- and kind of unblur photos sometimes. Yeah. yeah, just add up, add sharpening on their eyeballs, and then the client can't even yeah. tell. Have you yeah. seen the new um, Photoshop twenty twenty one? It's got the AI filter engine, so you can change the direction of someone's gaze now. It's no, freaky. yeah. So you take a photo of a person, and you can try it out. It's just a filter. Um, oh my god! And, and you can set so you can have them look more to the left or the right. You can have them twist their entire head slightly. Um, you can change their expressions, which is fucking terrifying. It doesn't really yeah, work as intended, but, but yeah, I was trying it out. I, I think I was showing you Charlotte and, um, with a photo of me and you can like make me be smiling and you can like adjust how, how happy I look <laughs> and then you can like add in surprise or anger or disgust. And it's, it's, uh, the implications for that are a little bit scary. So the only time I would probably be okay with using it, I was thinking about this, is like group photos where there's like one person looking off to the edge, but everybody else looks perfect. Mm. Or like just little things like that. So subtly. Yeah, like now because when I shoot like group photos, as most people do, you shoot like five frames and eventually that person will look in and you just Photoshop it and bring it in. But I can imagine being able to do it in Photoshop. One would make it faster if it looks real. Um, but also means that you can not guarantee, but you can almost guarantee that you'll be able to get everybody looking at the camera for a photo. <laughs> as horrifying as it could potentially look. Yeah. No, it's cool. To, it's cool. The stuff you can do with, um, artificial intelligence. Like I use a lot of that for, for my architectural stuff these days, like replacing skies. I know how to do manually, but to, to do it in Photoshop now, you can just completely you know, it's like two buttons. You just pick what sky you want to put in and it just does it and creates a mask for you and then you can just touch it up. So that kind of stuff is super cool. I wonder how that would be applied. Like, have you seen, you know, very traditional, like family portrait photographers that do the very Mm. like posed family shots (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then they swap, they swap people's heads all the time. And so they have them in the same positions and then they swap heads based off of, they take like the best photo of each person and then they compile it into one family portrait. Yeah. Like, I wonder how, I wonder how that would, um, if it would make their job easier or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Charlotte was saying with the, with the group photos. I mean, it'll be, it'll be handy if, if you've got someone, you know, just looking away or just blinking slightly, you wouldn't have to, bother taking the extra photos in theory you could just like make them bring their gaze over slightly but um it depends on how realistic it actually ends up looking though like i'm i haven't played around with it i don't know how well it works it's it's nowhere near good enough yet Mm. it's um, it's a cool concept but right now it's just kind of it's fun to fuck around with in photoshop but uh, I, i wouldn't use it for a job it seems like it's mostly there as a as a meme thing like you can yeah. if you switch someone's gaze <laughs> enough it could probably make it look like it's prepped for a meme already it's 
very memeable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, I was just thinking too. The other thing that I didn't mention, like I've never sh- shot weddings, but I I have done a lot of bulk batch editing for wedding photographers because I used to do color grading for other people quite mm. a bit. Which is funny because I don't like photoshopping. I don't like the idea of like having to switch things around or like retouching or anything. But I can spend literal hours color grading. I love color grading. Yeah, it's Great. something I want to learn more about. I'm kind of the complete opposite. I quite like it. I was talking yeah. to my brother about this recently, actually, because he got into photography this year. And I was showing, he had a picture of the sand dunes from near our batch. And I was, like, showing him how he could do, like, color grading to make it more interesting. He's like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I'm like, I know, and I know, like, nothing about it. This is, like, the like yeah. bare minimum that you need to know. It's something I want to learn a lot more about because you can do some really interesting, not necessarily for even work stuff, for, like, even just personal shooting more than anything it can be quite a fun thing to play around with i think that's one of the things that um like that holds me back too when it comes to like architectural or interiors photography like in in architecture and interiors it's so important to have everything be spot on to what it is realistically Mm -hmm. whereas in the in the genres that i work in um your like your color processing is half of the creative process almost you can creatively decide how the colors look to create a certain mood to create a certain aesthetic to make it match someone's branding to make it match a magazine's style you can you have a lot more creative um, play with how you choose to make the colors look to give it a certain look which i really enjoy Mm. yeah no i definitely definitely agree with that you like i'm I'm terrible at color grading just because I there's no real capacity for me to use it for work. So, like, I know, I know some of the basics and I do it for some like personal photography, but um, yeah, for work it's much more about like sharpening and just getting it right in camera, and then using mm-hmm. color grading just to fix any of the color casts that come into it. But yeah, yeah. So our our knowledge in in photo editing tools are basically the complete opposite. Yeah, <laughs> together like, would be I, the I'm, ultimate. I'm, Uh, you could give me a photo of someone's like work on instagram and give me like an hour and i could probably create you a preset to make your work look like their work Mm, yeah like i'm I'm, that's how that's how confident i am with my color grading skills like i I can almost always yeah figure out exactly what someone's doing in terms of um their color grading it's really interesting because cool. I imagine that most people don't know how much work goes into the post-production process for photos and will probably be kind of surprised to see what raw images from photographers actually look like compared to the stuff that they end up seeing on social media feeds and in like campaigns mm. and all that sort of stuff. Like for like yep. your average fashion influencer, it probably won't be that different. But if you've got like the raw images for the stuff that we do, Sam, is like quite different to the final <laughs> outcome nowadays. Um, yeah, yeah, especially in the last year or two, just because I've gotten a lot better at that kind of stuff. But which is why there's always like, like when we show clients on sites, like we're flicking through the photos to like make sure that they're happy with like everything yeah. that we covered. Um, and we have to put so many disclaimers. It's just like okay, this this bunch of photos looks really weird because there's like different lights popping in different things, and like these will all come together later. Um, don't what? take it th- at face value. <laughs> I think that's a large part of it. Like now where we're at you you shoot a ton of different frames for each individual element of the photo so you 
you know, you do one photo to have the tap in the right position, and then you do one photo to have the light coming through the window. So individually, one by one, they all look a little bit weird, but then you've got to, you know, it's once you've done the hard work and kind of blended them all together. So yeah, you've got to be very good at pre-visualizing stuff. And then, yeah, I do worry sometimes that the clients, you kind of have to explain very carefully, like, it's not going to look like this. <laughs> yeah, it's going to look... It's gonna look way better than this, but we need this because the tap is straight, but that means the shower is on, but the shower won't be on in the photo. And yeah, it just yeah. becomes this whole dialogue with them. I um, I always laugh too, like you hear like all the time in photography groups, these horror stories of wedding photographers having clients like being like, "Can why can't I, why can't I have the raw photos? Like not uh, even realizing yeah. that raw photos aren't usable and don't yeah. look good. And that the no, colors are going to be super flat and your skin tones aren't going to be so great. And like if they're not, you can't take a raw file and go print it at a printer. It, it physically doesn't work that way. Or why people don't understand why editing is a part of the process too. It's like they don't understand why they have to pay you to edit the things. It's like because taking the photo is only half the job. Yeah. Yeah. I think people um, make the false assumption that the raw photos are like this whole treasure trove of good photos that they've decided not to give you because fuck you and you've only paid for 200 say no one um, ever fucking does that no i don't know anyone who does that i've never had a good photo that's raw and been like you know what i'm not going to give this to the people paying it's always like the raw photos are the ones that are out of focus or like shaky as fuck or yeah i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't want them anyway let alone the fact yeah you couldn't couldn't use them if someone's paying a bulk amount of money for a wedding, we give an estimation of like, you get between this many and this many photos roughly, right? Yeah. I don't think I yeah. ever stuck within that. I think I always gave people over that amount because I had so many photos in there that I was happy with and yeah. just wanted to give them all of those photos. The only ones that I kept for myself were the ones that I wasn't happy with the quality of. Like I, I was... I've seen posts before of people like passive aggressively emailing their clients with a contact sheet of just a bunch of out of focus photos and being like, this is why I didn't send these to you unless you would like some out of focus photos. And then them being like, oh, I didn't understand. Sorry. Mm. The the thing I think is dumb as well. um, Looking at wedding photographers is I, I personally would not want you know, six or 700 photos of the same thing. If if you're talking like a, a half day, ceremony and a reception i would rather have maybe like you know 50 to 100 really good unique shots because because if you get an album or if you're printing them you know an album you're going to have maybe 20 pages you're not going to fit them all on anyway i i would rather have someone take their time with it and curate a selection that's really cool and diverse and high quality than have 600 photos of like the first dance happening or like 30 of the bride coming down the aisle yeah, you just need one of that. Nowadays, nowadays people like they get these albums and then they upload them to Facebook and then they literally never look at them again. And then they maybe get yeah. like five that they pick to post on their Instagram. And then yeah. they have maybe two that they actually print to hang up in their house. And the two exactly. that they've printed are the ones that like were the most important to them, but they have to have the whole album so that like for like three days they can like have people look through the whole thing. I don't know. There's a lot of people that for some reason see getting a thousand photos as the hallmark of quality. Like they think the more that they get, Mm. the better value for what they got. When in reality, if you get a thousand photos, they're going to be probably kind of crap. They're going to be poorly edited because nobody has the time to edit a thousand photos to the quality that I would want to release a photo. 
Um, so I, as you were saying, I would so rather, I mean, the numbers ramp up when you have a whole bunch of like grip and grin family photos in the mix, because that takes up like 50 photos on its own. But, um, yeah, I would so rather have like documenting the day between like 50 and 150 photos of the day itself that are well curated, well thought out, well edited than a thousand photos that most of which are not that great. Yeah, definitely agree. And it was funny yeah. doing doing what we do now coming from weddings because we would deliver like six to ten photos over sometimes the same amount of time as a wedding would take. You know, you could do a six-hour shoot and you could do ten final shots. Mm. And it's, yeah. it's just funny because the clients always appreciate, you know, they love the final result and they're... I've never had anyone for architecture ask for a copy of all the RAWs. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's just, it definitely made the right call moving away from weddings and, and doing this kind of stuff because it just suits me so much better. Yeah, and you know, I would expect maybe like in my in the work that I've done doing like uh, commercial lifestyle stuff to have people ask if like there's any more photos that or that they can see or see the RAWs, but it literally has never happened to me. I've always just delivered mm. them the ones that I think are like, the best mm-hmm. and yep. it's maybe like and usually some a lot of the times the shoots that I do that I come in to do that it like I'm only in there for like maybe one to two hours max and so I like I may be giving them like 30 photos ish so I think the biggest I've ever given a client is like 110 yeah I think I think a huge thing regardless of what genre of photography you're doing is just setting expectations with your client and just having good communication up front so that there are no nasty surprises. You know, if you're doing a fashion shoot, you just say, you know, oh, you know, you'll get X amount of photos out of it and any more than that, you know, will cost you. So, so we do that with architecture. We say, you know, you'll get, you'll get this amount and then if you want more, we've got to discuss that during the shoot and then during the shoot, you look at the photos that you're taking and you say like, are these on, on brand for what you guys are wanting? do you want us to change anything? And you're just constantly kind of involving that them in that process. So it's not just this big black box where you go into a room and you take photos and you come out and here's what you get. It's, it's a more kind of hands-on thing. And I feel like that, that helps a lot with not having clients ask for the RAWs afterwards or, or be surprised with what kind of photos you've got for them. I, yeah, I think another part of that for what we've been doing recently too is that you've moved to uh, like give the client a contact sheet and they pick the ones that they want. If they end up wanting more than the pre-agreed amount, they just pay a, like editing and licensing fee per photograph to cover yeah, your time. Yeah. And you end up getting more money. It's like an inherent upsell if they want lots of photos. So do you want, but it do also you want gives them the choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which works very well. Because then if you do a good job as well, you get paid more because they buy more stuff than what they thought they needed. Which is Yeah, exactly. Excellent. It's incentive to like make you be really creative and get some cool photos because they end up seeing mm. stuff that they didn't think that they wanted. They end up really yeah. wanting them because they're really good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which which keeps you nice and motivated every shoot you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, the um, contact sheet model has definitely been a very good improvement. Yeah, very much so. Which mm-hmm. on in comparison to weddings from a business perspective too is a really big thing as well it's like what you were touching on with um you know the structure of a wedding photographer is you like book something in and you don't do the shoot for like a year or two which means you don't get paid for Mm -hmm. a year or two whereas doing 
commercial stuff you actually get to book in and do the work within maybe like a month of doing that and then you get yeah, paid yeah. also. Yeah, for the most part you do everything within a month. Yeah, so like it's not yes. like hugely down the line and then if something goes wrong then that's something that you've been putting work into for 12 months, 24 yeah. months without getting paid for it yet and then it all turns tits up and you don't necessarily get what is worth it to you in some ways. Yeah, there's a lot of things that go mm. on with wedding photography that is like not ideal. <clears throat> I, I'm super strict too when I do commercial shoots like nine I would say 85% of my of my shoots um are put paid in full before I even do them and then uh, if they're not paid in full then I, I have at least a 50% deposit and like they literally don't get photos handed to them until the last 50% is in my in my bank account it's it's just more steady that way i just i just refuse to and i'm like i'm sorry like i just don't for my financial security i i've been burned too many times by people who don't pay afterwards so that's just how it works and i do it with my web design clients too before we even start build out um my clients will be 100 percent page paid in full mm. sam you do a bit of a mix of things don't you for like regular clients that you do stuff for yeah, like it, it, super often you don't charge deposits but it, if it's a new client you potentially do yeah, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate. I've I've never been, you know, affected negatively by a client not paying or anything. I've I've had a few um, discussions on that on that kind of stuff, but I've never actually had to enforce anything. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of a trust thing. Like if it's if it's a client that's been referred to me by someone else that I enjoy working with and I know quite well, then I'll I'll be a bit more lenient. But usually it would be fifty percent deposit, do the shoot, and then. You get the photos and, and then most of the time I would I would send off the photos and then send the invoice. That's kind of a trust thing. I guess if I get burned by someone then that'll probably change quite quickly. But yeah, I've never really found it a problem. I, yeah, and it's not even so much that I I've had it where like someone uh doesn't like I've never not gotten paid for a job, mm. but I have had people take like six months to yes. pay me. Yeah, and, and I've definitely I've, had that. And I financially just can't do that i just can't afford that yeah. <laughs> and so and I, I explained that important. to them and i'm like if i i was like it's not fair for you to ask for my time and then not pay me when you're yep. supposed to and so if if i ever am in a situation where i have a payment plan that goes post them getting their deliverables then i have like very ironclad signed contracts that say that like if they do not pay me on time after 15 days it goes up by 50 percent and if they don't pay me in 30 days from the due date then it goes up by 100 percent and if it's uh 90 days then it goes up by 400 percent and like nice. most i'm like i'm an asshole in my things because and i mm. and because I, kind I, of gotta I, be. like, yeah because yeah. then no one ever like no one ever wants to be late because they're like no. I'm, i don't want to pay 400 percent more than my already like expensive yeah, and, and project you've got to back yourself in, in business and, and yeah, sometimes you do just need to be pretty blunt if, if it's you running a business and, and you know again it's the communication thing but um, yeah I certainly found that having um, all of the quotes and stuff I send are like very explicit they, they used to be quite polite quite kind of passive like you know we appreciate if you'd pay within X amount of days but now it's just you know, payment is required by the state. If we don't get it, same thing as, you know, you pay X percent on top of that. Late and, fees. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, I mean, it took me a while to kind of get past that. Um, not wanting to come off as, as sounding like a, a bit of a dick, but I, I think in business you've just got to be pretty stern and, and like nobody else is going to back you. So you've got to you've got to yeah, be a business owner as much as a photographer. I've had conversations with clients before where they're like, oh my gosh, like that, those are really big late fees. I'm like, yeah, I've been burned a couple of yeah, times and it really like, sucks when don't people pay, pay you. And so, so now I've had to like, or I was like, my lawyer has made me make it so that I make sure that this happens like properly. And I don't really know all the technicalities, but 99% of people just pay on time. And that's all that really matters. It never actually yeah. happens, but. Mm. And it's, it's a respect thing. It's like, you know, if you're, if you're serious about a job, then there shouldn't be any problem with paying a deposit. And, you know, it's a sign of good faith on their part. And then you'll, you'll do 100% on your part. You know, it's, it's all about mm-hmm. finding the right clients that, that kind of give a shit about what you do and not being a commodity, which is, um, you know, if you look at something like real estate photography, where I started off, you're, you're very much a commodity. You know, if, if there's someone that can do cheaper or faster or um, better in a real estate agent's opinion, did little air quote marks I guess you guys better in a real that. estate agent's opinion uh, is often like to them the same kind of product but cheaper even though you yeah, know what the yeah. difference between that product and the but, other product um, is and it is very different but to them it's the but same yeah so some some genres of photography there's just no loyalty and i think um there are other ones which again is why why i'm happy i moved away from weddings because um again you don't get repeat work from customers it's, it's all about building those good relationships and finding the clients that you really like who trust you and respect what you do and they always pay on time and with something like architectural photography you can kind of kind of do that and then um, yeah I, I found I haven't had any problems really with with late payments or, or people trying to get out of that kind of stuff I've had, had a few invoices just get forgotten by people but that's always you know you just send them a reminder and then you get an apology and they put it through straight away so yeah, I, th- I think I think certain types of photography are um, better for that kind of stuff than others. Having tried a few, mm. yeah, I also think that like I think that you can tell upon first inquiry who's going to be a shitty client yeah. and who isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's taken me it's taken me a good uh, like a long. It took me a couple of years into my career to realize when that like not all money is good money. And like, not all money is worth it. Sometimes you just got to walk away for your own well-being. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's like not getting paid on time or dealing with a difficult client is not really worth it ever. And yeah, yeah. I think if it's if you can tell something, someone's going to be a hassle or they're going to be really inconvenient in a way. You you just you just price the project so that it's worth your time and effort going into it. And you can you can often kind of tell when you're going to need to put in. And it's a couple of days worth of you know emailing and sorting shit out. My so. uh, my teachers of photography school school called it a bullshit fee, and yeah, so yeah. always charge always charge twenty five percent more for people who are going to give you a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> my yeah, parents yeah. my parents have a pain in the ass button, which is like there's a there's a customer screen in front of people as they're pricing stuff up. My parents own a couple of picture framing businesses, if I haven't mentioned that before. Um, so like you're doing all the buttons to like add up what all the different things that they want in the frame comes to and there's one that's just labeled PIA at the bottom which if they were looking really closely they could see it and they could understand that you're pressing a button they don't know what it means ultimately mm. but it stands for pain in the ass <laughs> so like if the customer is being a dick sometimes they'll press it 
But it's mostly about like if the job is like particularly fiddly and there's no buttons to accommodate for that, then you hit it a couple of times. But we have hit it a few mm. times for people being assholes. <laughs> Just imagine you're like, is... like pausing at the register Amazing. and like <laughs> looking them in the eyes and then just pressing a single button. Be like, here's your total. <laughs> It's amazing. It's like if you're if you're really nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're a dick to me, don't expect me. You know. I mean, I've I've got a huge thing about that. Like everyone deserves a certain level of respect, and and it it really triggers me when you see people, um, especially in retail, but in any kind of kind of job, just just not giving people the time of day, or you know, being being short with everyone. Like I, I think everyone. Nobody's so busy they don't have time for manners with people to, like, a basic, no. basic level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really, really pisses me off when I see yeah, people doing it, that. Yeah, same. It's, like, one of my biggest pet peeves. I've called out so yeah. many people in, like, coffee shop lineups being, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Minimum wage is not enough to deal with you being a fucking dick. Like, chill yeah. out. Karen's. <laughs> is your is your $7 coffee really essential in the middle of a fucking pandemic that you need to yell at the barista for them telling you to put a mask on? Like, go fuck yourself. But Get also, out. How hard like, just is it leave. to be nice to the people who make you coffee? They can spit in God. it. Yeah, <laughs> in like, Auckland, uh, during, during lockdown, I was, I was in line for a place and this, this lady with a dog and, and no mask came along and she was like, oh like a flat white please and she she walked through the the exit bit of the queue so she'd come in front of everyone and the dude um he's super polite and he was like no i'm sorry you need a mask and you have to pay with um pay wave you're not allowed to press the pin pad and she was like oh well you've you've just lost an offer uh, an order i was going to get a flat white and everyone in the queue was just like oh well, no one fuck. gives a how, fuck how are they going to survive without that four dollars fifty and an income check <laughs> that's gonna be devastating <laughs> But she just, yeah. yeah, looked like she had so much authority over him. Just stormed yeah, off with a little like, shit suit. It's like, do you really think the barista who's getting paid minimum wage gives a yeah. flying fuck about your business? They don't. They're oh, not like, there like, to, like... Also, global pandemic, like... I know. Yeah, I don't really give a shit if you, if you don't have pay wave on your... I don't know, is pay wave a thing in Canada? I suppose it is. Yeah, uh, tap. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. We call tap. it Tap. Tap. Because yeah. you tapped your card, <laughs> or you yeah, tapped your phone. <laughs> I guess it's pay wave because you wave your card over in an effort to pay. <laughs> I feel like tap makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. More, um, um, yeah. pay, pay Always, wave makes sense too. But yeah, mm. we're very literal. We like things just blunt. Yeah, I remember doing that <laughs> pub quiz that we did with you guys during lockdown, and we had the one on Canadian slang versus yes. Kiwi slang, yeah. loonies and toonies, loonies and toonies. Tooks. What was that, one you go was, get a donut or something and there's a name for that? You go to is it a Hortons? Timbit. A Timbit. 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 Oh, yeah. you go to Timbit. Yeah, yeah, you go to you go to Timmy's and you can buy Timbits, which are donut holes. Or a donut. Yeah. Yeah. They have sandwiches that aren't too bad. They have this really good spicy chipotle chicken wrap that um Julian and I are a pretty big fan of. They they've been nice. upping their um, menu lately. It's it's pretty good. I'm pretty. I'm a big right. fan. I like a, a classic little Timmy's. It's truth. It's little Timmy's. <laughs> little Timmy's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. every. I I don't think I don't think you will ever meet a Canadian who hasn't ha- tried a Timbit before. I wonder what the equivalent for New Zealand would be. 
of Tim Hortons or yeah, or like a like a donut hole, yeah, like a like a thing that has its own name. I mean, we we have yeah. a lot of like random food items that are like weirdly unique to yeah. New Zealand, but not anything that like <laughs> but you, culturally significant. Chocolate. You guys don't have like your your co- your coffee culture is so different than ours, right? Like, oh, yeah. Well, you guys don't we, have we do shitty coffee, drip. Do. Yeah, you don't yeah. do shitty drip coffee, which you buy no. from like a Dunkin' Donuts or a, or a Timmy's, right? Like, you go to Timmy's so honestly, for like it's it's, it's one of the hardest things about roast. traveling to America and Canada is just you can't find good coffee, even if you go to a Starbucks. And I was saying to Grace the other day, like like Starbucks is kind of this global baseline of like decent ish coffee it's not, not new zealand coffee shit. but it's it's yeah, better it's not than like drip total coffee. Shit. um yeah yeah so if i'm traveling i'll go get starbucks but even that that's not really proper coffee. at least for starbucks they pull a shot of espresso and then put milk on it but it doesn't mean that it's good <laughs> You guys, if you come to Vancouver, I have a, a, well, preparing for Charlotte to visit me eventually, I have been for the last like year or two curating like coffee shops to as like a list of like where makes the closest thing to New Zealand coffee where they give you what I think is crazy. We were talking about this the other day is like the size of your guys's coffees is so small. It's tiny. Yeah. Like like well, your large yeah. is like a tall. But it's, it's quality is, over quantity as well. Cause you, yeah, yeah like we, we have strong coffee. Like I drink mm-hmm. um, short macchiatos, long macchiatos, which are like, you get them in like an espresso cup and there's, there's milk. It's like a flat white, but like, concentrated like crazy yeah it's essentially an espresso to a double espresso shot for a long macchiato right topped up with a little bit of water and then like it's normally just the foam from the milk even it's not it's often not even the milk if you get it at a cafe i'm pretty sure it's just the foam um and they put a little bit of milk foam on top and that's essentially what sam drinks yeah when he knows 50, the coffee's gonna 50 be good. mil of espresso do you guys do milliliters where you are or is that like 300 ounces <laughs> no, we do we do milliliters. Okay, thank far. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's except a good for at Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. Because I find Starbucks is um, similar kinds of caffeine, but it's there's so much more milk and water in it. Like it's, I don't think you can yeah, even yeah, get flat yeah. whites at Starbucks, can you? It's a different type of flat white than yours. Like what yeah. you guys get as flat light whites is a latte here. Like there's not that much foam in 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 lattes here. Like, uh, if you wanted something that was super foamy, then you would get a cappuccino. Because here you can get a flat white and a latte, but they're two quite different. Similar enough, like, like you'd get them mixed up at cafes quite a lot. But the, um, the taste is the same, basically. But most people are annoyed by the amount of foam on a latte. Um, um, I think that the, the fundamental difference between our coffee culture and your guys' coffee culture is, like you said, it's quality over quantity, and it's um, and, and it's very strong. Like, you guys like your coffee strong and your milk ratio low, whereas here, it's about it's about quantity, right? And that's I think that's largely because of Starbucks as mm. well. Like, people people want a venti, which is 20 ounces, right? So uh, much liquid. Like, What's kind of funny about the coffee culture here, though, is you kind of expect it to be really similar to the Australian coffee culture. But even between us, Kiwis like coffee stronger. Apparently, mm-hmm. I learned this when I was in Melbourne, the standard in Melbourne is for a single shot of espresso with milk for like most of their coffees. 
But in New Zealand, the standard is two shots of espresso with milk. You have to specify if you want a single shot and vice versa in Australia. So whilst we have similar standards for quality in New Zealand, we definitely like our coffee stronger. And I think that the general gist of that is that Australians like having like four coffees over a day. So they do single shots, whereas our coffee culture is like one or two stronger coffees so that we can taste the coffee. Or um, if you're like me, then five double shots a day. Jesus Christ. You're, you're exaggerating. There's no way you can actually do five double shots in a no, day. There's no way. I actually had I had five the other day and I was um was wired like crazy. That's not good for your body. Anyways, I think we should probably wrap this up because we have been recording for almost two hours now. Quality. Thank you to Sir Sanford for joining us today. It oh, was thank so you much very fun much having for you. having me. Always happy to, to be back if you want more yarns on lo-fi or whatever. You'll yeah, back. for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll have you again. I have some ideas, which I won't um, say right now, but I'm going to run them all past Coley and then we'll, we'll make some time. <laughs> okay, nice. sweet. Nice. But I hope you guys enjoyed um, this week's episode. If you want to follow Sam on Instagram, Sam, what's your Instagram handle? My Instagram is at Samford, S-A-M-P-F-O-R-D underscore. Because so he has a unique, a unique name, name and he can get away with that. <laughs> yeah, I got I my know. first name on Instagram. <laughs> um, and then I'm at Bonjour Coley. Charlotte's at Charlotte Sonia Turner. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this and we'll see you guys in the next one. See ya. Bye. See ya.